For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Hapsit Minded. My name is Jared Brook. Joining me today is Matt Drake. And uh, we actually have some news to talk about on this August, uh, dog days of August uh, morning here. And what we'll start with, we'll start with Carey Price, because I think that's the uh, more noteworthy uh, thing to come out of all the the moves that happened on on Thursday, but it's not good news. And and you kind of felt that way once you saw that there was n- nothing going back to Calgary. Montreal's adding over six million dollars in cap space. Something had to give, uh, and that something is that Carey Price's knee is just not progressing. Uh, it's not getting worse, but it's not getting better. And there's he's not going to be ready for the season. There is serious doubt whether he'll even come back this season. So at 35 years old, it's a question of whether he will come back. Because, you know, if if he is out for this season, then next year he becomes a 36-year-old who's played five games over two years, which is obviously not the best uh, situation to be in. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and... The other thing that Ken Hughes said during his press conference is that if Price does come back, it's probably going to need another surgery because it doesn't seem to be something that will just get better with you know physical therapy and rest and, and things yeah. like that. So it, it's going to be a, a tough road back. But, I, I mean, is, is this the end for, for Carey Price, in, in your opinion? Look, man, I've I, I seen a lot of people like basically writing his eulogy on Twitter. And I don't like that. I refuse. And this is precisely what I tweeted. I refuse to believe that Carey Price's career is over until I hear it from his mouth. Right. I don't see a path to him coming back this year. Obviously, I think Ken Hughes was pretty clear on that. I think, you know, at your, your best case scenario with him is maybe if he gets the surgery and he's doing well towards the end of the year, is maybe he comes back and plays a few more games to kind of find out, you know, where it's at and see whether or not he could make a comeback uh, in 2023, 24. I believe that we're going to see him again. I think he's going to go and get that surgery. If this is an issue with his knee, that's going to potentially impact his quality of life anyways, after hockey, it's a surgery that he's going to get. 
And I think, you know, you've seen plenty of goaltenders at 36 or beyond still have some longevity in the league, still be able to compete in the NHL. So I think, and I firmly believe that if he gets this surgery and he feels like he can still play after he recovers from it, I think we're going to see him again. And I think the unfortunate news there is that the earliest it's probably going to be is 2023, 24. So I don't know. The only thing I don't like, I don't like all these eulogies about him. We're already talking about retiring his number. I agree hundred percent that when he's done, we should retire his number, but I don't think we're at that point of having that conversation yet. I think we're at the point of saying, well, you know what? It's, it's going to be a tough year for the Montreal Canadiens because they're not going to have him, but let's wait and see. Let's wait and see if he gets that surgery and he can come back. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting because even like in the situation that you say where he has a surgery works his way back for the end of the season, that's pretty much what happened last year. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the knee just wasn't good enough. So uh, it's definitely interesting. The, the, the thing that's interesting to me is that Carey Price has kind of been hinting at that this, you know, he, he hinted that this would be a, a long road back um, after the season when he got the Masterton. He kind of seemed kind of resigned to the fact that it wasn't getting better. And, and I think that was surprising because I think a lot of people were like, okay, he worked his way back. He'll have a season to to work out and come back. Um, the fact that even he wasn't convinced basically as soon as the season ended that it, the knee was not right and he wouldn't feel it, right? You you feel when your knee is not, not right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that, you know, that was the first indication. At the Masterton, it kind of seemed like, I don't know if I'll ever play again. And we're like, whoa, okay. Um, that's... That's not something you usually hear from an athlete. And then, you know, Kent Hughes even saying yesterday uh, on Thursday that, you know, oh, if, if it is the end for Carey Price, we'll make sure to have a press conference for him. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I, I like how you've already thought about this scenario in your head. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I wish I can be uh, as optimistic as you, but I, I think the things are pointing in the direction um, that he, it's more likely at this point that he will not come back. Uh, then well, I'm not gonna write him off or, or or talk about his legacy or anything like that at this point. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I you know it, it's it's unlikely for players, you know, to to come back at, at 36. Never mind that the his you know the the injuries and and working his way back. Um, I, I mean you know his one of his good friends Shea Weber uh, is, you know, maybe just a couple years older, and basically. Uh, is is doing just that and just not coming back, right? So, uh, I think that it's it's always a question. I, I do think that this is, um, not good news, obviously, but but no. I I think that it's it it does provide at least on the positive side some certainty where they're not like oh if he comes back at mid season we have to worry about who we can take off the cap at that point, um. So you know, it, it, let's let's say let's say he was going on LTIR, and they expected him back in like December, as an example. Then in December, things. yeah, in December you have to worry about okay, how are we going to make the space for yeah. it? And you saw that near the end of last season, right? That was the big question is that they were using the LTIR space um, that they had for Weber and they had for Price, but they never really used the Price space because they knew that if they used the Price space, they it, when he came back they would have to get rid of salary anyway or, or, or be over the cap. So yeah, it, obviously things got easier because they traded guys away, guys got hurt. So you can, you know, if a guy's out for the season, you can put them on LTIR and not worry about it. 
Uh, so you have room for price, but yeah, obviously things might, you know, even out near the end of the season, but yeah, it certainly doesn't look good. And I, I, the, the one thing that, that struck me in that whole sequence of events, and we'll get to the trade in just a bit. The, the whole thing that got to me is that he was just super open about it. Like, like Eric Engels had the first question in the press conference, asked Kent Hughes, so uh, is something else coming? Because obviously there's uh, the cap issue. And he's like, well, if you're asking how we can afford this, it's because of Carey Price. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just basically talked about how Carey So um, I, I wasn't expecting that, especially right off the top. Uh, I wasn't expecting that kind of openness because uh, he's been so – basically, he, he hasn't been telling the media about Carey Price because he has no information, right? And even Carey didn't know. Uh, but I guess they did have some clarity on that in the last few weeks or months uh, where he was able to do that. But I wasn't expecting a, a big update on Carey Price yesterday, but but I'm, unfortunately that's what we got. Well, he might have he might have gotten that clarity like right before he negotiated his deal for Monahan, yeah, right? Absolutely, that would make a lot of sense to me if all this, you know, he had a conversation with Carrie Price and Carrie said, "Look, here's the deal. Just met with the doctor, and this is what's going on." And then he went, "You know what? Well, I guess I got a bunch of space now in LTIR because you're not going to play this year. So let's go out and let's do something, right?" Um, which makes a lot of sense for him to take advantage of that space uh, to add assets. I mean, he's, he seems like he's got asset management at the front of his mind. And uh, that's good for, for a rebuilding team because obviously this is going to set them up for the future uh, if he can do everything properly. But again, when it comes to price, maybe I'm naive. Maybe maybe it's because he's been my favorite player since I was 15 years old. I don't want to believe that he's done. You know, somebody tweeted to me because I, I did a whole thread on, you know, why I believe in Carey Price, why I think he will make a comeback at some point. And somebody tweeted me and said, listen, man, him coming back is just as likely as Joshua Hawaii becoming a top six forward in the NHL. And I responded with, well, <laughs> Joshua Hawaii is playing, playing on the top line tonight for Team Canada in the semifinals of the World Juniors. So I'm going to take those odds. Thank you very much. I'm going to take them and I'm going to run. So I don't know. Are we going to see him back? I believe that we will. Maybe I'm naive. Um, but you know what? I'm going to I'm going to live here in my naive belief in Carey Price until until I can no longer do so. Yeah, it, it there's you know look there, there's a lot of things that can happen uh, going forward and you know we don't have any you know we're, we're not in the room we don't have any idea what Kerry yeah. Price's mindset is we don't know um, what the 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 outlook on the knee is uh, but yeah I mean it, it's you know I, it's not for us to say one way or another uh, what's going to happen but uh, we can just. You know what I'm doing is I'm just looking at what everyone else around is saying, and even Price himself. Uh, and, and it yeah. does seem that it's it's not that likely. Uh, but you know, unlikelier things have happened. You know, two years ago, you wouldn't have never thought the Montreal Canadiens would be in the Stanley Cup final, uh, and they were. Uh, five years ago, you never say that they would be 32nd in the league, um, but they were that as well. So <laughs> there's a lot of things that can happen, um, and, and even. You know, the one thing that strikes me is that for years, Mark Bergevin went into the season with tons of cap space and never made a kind of move like this. And here's Kent Hughes, who has no cap space and still manages to make this kind of move, <laughs> um, which is just crazy. Uh, you know, you have more. I'm not here to, to knock down Mark Bergevin, but I'm just I trying am. to show the contrast 
of what we've had for the last 10 years and what we have now. You had one GM who said it's impossible to get, you know, top centers. And then you have another guy who traded for literally two top 10 picks as centers in a span of a couple of months. Yeah. Um, you have one guy who says that, um, you know, it's, yeah, it, it's just, you know, Mark Bergman, I think he, the only dra- first round pick he acquired was in the Kotkaniemi Kot- offer sheet. And Kent Hughes has already gotten, what, four? Yeah. Um, he got the one from Calgary from Toffoli, one from uh-huh. Sherratt. Um, he got, uh, and one from, in this trade, I'm not going to count Justin Barron because, you know, he was a first round pick, but he was prospect. So he's already acquired three first round picks. I might even be forgetting one. I don't think I am, though. Um, no, that, that's it. Um, but, no, I think uh, oh, he, he, got he, got, he, he got Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. I guess Monahan's also was a first round pick. So if we're, right. if we're counting the players, then we, <laughs> there's even another one in there. Yeah, the Doc and, and Monahan and, and all those guys, too, right? So it's definitely. Um, interesting to see that there is a plan and there's creativity and i think that's what was lacking in in the mark bergeron era was just the the creativity and the willingness to go out on a limb you know i feel i don't want to put him into a a situation but i feel like mark bergeron would have like held out that carry price was coming back and not used that space i, I feel like that's what would have happened um but yeah so it's, it's- it's, it's hard to say, right? Yeah. But based on his track record of going into seasons with mountains of cap space, <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, and again, like you said, you're not here to dump on Mark, Mark Bevelin, but, you know, that was something that I very much loved to do during his tenure. So I will say, like, he had an issue with just hoarding cap space and not using it. Whereas, like you said, Ken Hughes is getting out there and using it, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that that's, the, the major thing here. I mean, you know, you can argue that, you know, you can question, not argue, but you can question whether Mark Bergman would even traded Shea Weber mm. or whether he, you know, he would have held on to him and just used the LTIR space uh, and the Canadians get a, you know, middle six forward and Evgeny Dadnov um, for that. So let, let's talk about Sean Monaghan because it, it's interesting to me because normally when you have these kind of reclamation product product projects, the, the main question is, oh, was it worth what the team gave up for that kind of reclamation project? And in this case, the Canadians didn't give up anything. <laughs> they basically gave up <laughs> cap space and got a first round pick. Um, we're not going to go into the conditions. Um, it, it, we'll, we'll talk to you in 2024. Okay. Yeah. About those conditions. <laughs> we'll give ourselves two years to try and understand what was going on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they get a first round pick, they give up nothing. And the worst case scenario, and we talked about this a little bit before we, we came on to record. The worst case scenario is that Sean Monahan plays badly. The team does badly, which is expected anyway. He leaves at the end of the season and the Canadians still end up with a first round pick. The yep. best case scenario in this, um, and it, I guess it depends on what your your argument, but there's two kind of best case scenarios here. Both of them involve Sean Monaghan showing that he can still play at a high level in the NHL. And one of them is that they either extend him and he becomes a part of this rebuild. The other part of it is that they end up trading him for another high draft pick, maybe another first 
round pick, maybe a second, maybe a third, uh, whatever, whatever it is. And they end up doubling down and getting more things for, uh, for the asset in, in Sean Manahan. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the one question I think is what does he need to do next year in order to be worth, say a first rounder, right? I don't think he needs to do all that much. I think it's really going to depend, like we talked about before the podcast, right, on need. What teams are going to be out there shopping for a center at the deadline? And then it's going to be looking at his production, right? I think if he can get somewhere in the environs of 20 goals, he might be worth a first-round pick to them at the deadline. But as you mentioned, I really believe there's a universe where his injury problems, right? He had a, a hip surgery, and then he had the other hip operated on as well last year. So... I'm not a doctor, but I know that when one side goes, it usually causes you to favor the other side a little bit too much. And then you get problems with the other side. It happens with knees. It can happen with hips as well. So who knows if, if those surgeries have really taken and he can get back to the point that he once was at, and I'm not saying he gets back to being an 82 point per season player like he once was, but if he gets somewhere back close to that, if he's a legitimate contributor, there's a universe where the Habs say, all right, you know what? You're part of the rebuild. And maybe some other bodies move out. Maybe Christian Dvorak, maybe Kirby Doc, right? Maybe Jake Evans, who knows? There's just, all I'm saying is there, there is that universe. I think the main focus for them is probably going to be trying to move him at the deadline. You know, give him a chance to show what he can do and then move him over to a potential contender and give him a shot to go after a Stanley Cup. Uh, that seems like a great move for the Montreal Canadiens, especially if this hypothetical first round pick that we're talking about is in the 2023 draft that everybody knows at this point is going to be a very strong draft. Uh, they already have two picks in that draft. Getting another one would be massive for this team. So I don't know. I, I, I love the move because as you said, there's zero risk and the best case scenarios, either way, whether he becomes part of the rebuild or whether he gets parlayed into to picks or prospects or whatever as a result of his performance this season on a struggling team. Either way, the, the Habs are winners. There's no losing for them in this deal. Yeah. It, it, there's, no, none, there's no downside. The only thing that's costing them is money and cap space. And those things are, you can't take them with you, right? It's not like if they didn't have Monahan, they get $6 million more next year. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You know, it, either you use it or you don't use it. And, you know, if Monaghan becomes, um, you know, gets back to the player or even close to the player who scored, you know, 30 goals in the NHL, then you're laughing. And if he yeah. doesn't, if he becomes a depth player, then, you know, sign him to a depth contract, right? It's not like you have to re-sign him at $6 million going forward um, if he's not up to it. So, yeah, there's definitely tons of options here. The Canadians have a lot of players who might get moved, who uh, might not be part of this team going forward or might be part of this team going forward. But, you know, the, there's no risk. The worst case scenario is that they just end up with a first-round pick at the end of the year and, and Wanahan either, you know, gets bumped out of the lineup or doesn't play well or maybe he gets hurt. But, you know, either way, uh -huh. this isn't like a team that's trying to compete. It's not like he's coming in trying to replace Philip Deneau. <laughs> right like the, it's yeah. not like he's being asked to do very much the expectations are basically on the floor um and you know if he does if he does play well there's it even opens up more options for Ken Hughes um yeah. in, in terms of resigning in terms of trading in terms of uh, a lot of different things so 
yeah, it, it's 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 a good. It's nice to see Montreal doing this for a change because yes. so often we, we see other teams doing this, uh, and and Montreal is not the one that's doing it or not collecting first round picks or not focusing on development, and it it's nice to feel that the organization has some. It is is modernizing itself, and I think that there's no other way to to say it. It might not work, right? Yuri Slavkovsky might not end up being the best player in this draft. The development team might not be able to get the best out of all the players. It it might not work. I'm not he- sitting here saying Ken Hughes is the best GM in hockey history, and the Kings are going to win the several Stanley Cups. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that it's nice to have a, an organization that seems cohesive and consistent in their approach uh and yeah. and creative and i think that those are things that get you to be the teams like the tampas the colorados um and you know perennial perennial uh winners yeah it's 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 just good asset management right that enough yeah. makes a lot of sense it's a guy that you can right you know you can either part ways or flip at the deadline or you can extend him you have options same thing with monahan part ways, flip them at the deadline, extend them. You have options, right? I think what'll be really interesting is we saw a significant uptick with the team's performance under Methine Saint-Louis. Remember that graphic that we were all looking at, <laughs> what was it, yesterday that showed yeah. the difference between Duchamp and Saint-Louis? So I, I don't want to go back to my whole dump on Duchamp uh, attitude. I, I, I want to praise Marty Saint-Louis for a second. What is he going to be able to get out of some of these players? We saw... Just take Cole Caulfield, right? Had, what, one goal under the shot, and then Marty comes in, and all of a sudden he blows up, right? Is Marty St. Louis going to be able to have the same type of effect on some of these other guys, on Evgeny Dadanov, on Sean Monaghan? How is he going to use them, right? I was in a Twitter space last night, and I was talking about it because they asked me, you know, where do you think that he's going to slot into the lineup? And I said, well, look, it seems a foregone conclusion. We know Nick Suzuki is the number one center. That's not even up for debate. Kirby Doc appears to be, once they get him under contract, of course, to be probably their number two center. So I would see Sean Monaghan probably slotting in as a number three on likely, because he's he's not a defensive stalwart. He's not Philippe Dano. He's probably going to be like an exploitation line. So what I would do, hypothetically, I'd probably throw him on a third line with, say, Brennan Gallagher and, uh, I don't know, Rem Pitlick, right? Give him a little bit of speed, a little bit of sandpaper on his right wing and see what he can do, right? And... I have full faith in Marty St. Louis to figure something out, right? That's just my me throwing out an idea. Marty seems to know how to get the best out of his players. We saw everybody take a step forward under him. Everybody played better. The expected goals for was better for everybody. They were getting more shots. They were, they were a lot more fun to watch. And I think if he can bring that same philosophy to some of these new guys, if he can help get a little bit extra out of them, then you're going to see that value evolve throughout the course of the year and grow to the point where they might be able to get something for both of those guys. Or again, you have that alternate universe where you take a look at what they can do under Marty and you go, well, you know what, this guy's part of the rebuild now. It's, I I, I love that Ken Hughes is taking those opportunities, taking those uh, players on expiring contracts that seem to be like, it's almost like an Island of misfit toys, but some of those toys, you know, they have legitimate value if they can get that just extra juice out of them. Yeah, it, it, exactly. There, there's definitely a lot of. It, it's funny because it, it's 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 not pessimism, and it's not optimism. Like no one's expecting the Canadians to make the playoffs this year, 
Um, but coming off of last year, it's almost like a breath of fresh air where it's like, whatever happens, happens, <laughs> right? Like that's, you know, as long as, you know, Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield kind of develop, if, if they can get a little bit more out of Kirby Doc, uh, if the young defensemen like, uh, you know, Keaton Gooley or Jordan Harris or Matthias Norlander or whoever, Justin Barron or whoever ends up making the team, keep developing and it just kind of like see what happens right it's it's kind of a uh, a weird feeling but it's there's still a lot to look forward to uh this year and there's a lot of interesting players on this team like if you look at the forwards like there's a lot of forwards on this team and it kind of makes you wonder like if the plan is for Yuri Slavkovsky to make this team where does Yoel Armia go? Where does Mike Hoffman land? Like, where does Jonathan Drouet go? Like, th- there's a lot of Ren Pitlick. There's, you know, we were thinking, you know, as free agency opened, okay, Pitlick was not re-signed. Uh, that kind of opens up another spot for somebody else. And then they re-signed him anyway. <laughs> and it's like, okay, cool. Um, okay, where does he play now? And, you know, you're already talking about moving Jake Evans to wing because uh, mm. the centers are going to be uh Suzuki Doc. It's crowded Monahan and it's crowded and in the middle. Um yeah, and then you have you know guys in the, the AHL bubble like Mitchell Stevens and Anthony Richard and you know guys like that. Uh, I don't expect um anybody really to come up and take a center spot this year from from Laval especially. But you have those guys and, and it's just it, it's gonna be very interesting to watch how it all develops and who ends up making the team who ends up you know you know we, we talked about joshua Hua potentially getting a look and, and now i just don't see a way they they, he, they can fit him in the, the lineup and that's not taking anything away from from joshua Hua. that the, the most likely scenario is always him going back to junior this year yeah but but it's just it, it's just now they don't need to rush these guys right you don't need to rush Slavkovsky even like if Slavkovsky shows that he's not ready or I, I I don't I think he will be but he doesn't have to be right like it's not like you know he's he stay even if he stays he's going to Laval anyway it's not like he's going back to Europe but it's just there's a lot of options with yeah. this team and it's it's an, it's interesting because you know we're, we're we've been talking about the top 25 under 25 and there's so many guys in that cool uh and it's just it's it's fun it's it's basically it's basically you know for so many years canadians and canadians fans had to be like this guy has to make it because we have nobody else right it was either josh brooke has to be an nhler ryan paling has to be an nhler and now it's like Mm. you know you throw 15 guys out there and be like all right as long as three of you end up nhlers cool right like you know it, it's kind of that thing where it doesn't have to be joshua Hua. it could be sean farrell it could be riley kidney it could be jan mishak it can be Raphael harvey pinard it can be uh michael pozetta or it could be slavkovsky it could be philip maystar it could be yesi ulanen um mm-hmm. joel teasdale like I'm, I'm naming guys and probably forgetting tons of more obvious names uh but but it just goes to show that there's so many people there that eventually it's just going to be like survival of the fittest and you sign the guys that are good enough. You get, get rid of the guys who aren't 
and that's how you build winners, right? Like yeah. it, it's it's um it's gonna be a lot of fun, especially in training camp when you see all these guys compete with each other um for basically their spots, right? Laval is gonna be insane. Like there's gonna be players in the ECHL who will end up in the NHL one day. Yep. You know, Laval's gonna be tough. I mean, we talked about it yesterday. When we were talking about um, the uh, what was the, the last one there, the the near misses for uh, the top 25 and yeah. 25. So we we're talking about uh, Joel Teasdale, for instance. And Joel Teasdale is the guy I'm, I'm high on Joel, Joel Teasdale. I'm a big fan of his. I, I watch him in the queue. Um, I, I really like him. You know, I know injuries have kind of held him back a little bit in his career. Uh, but I said, you know, this is a big year for him. He, he gets a chance to earn himself a role in Laval. And guess what? Earning a role in Laval this year, it's not going to be easy. It's really not. You're, you're like I don't think that there's very few people that are going to be guaranteed spots. You could take a look at guys like probably Jesse Ilonen, uh, Jan Mishak. Uh, I think will definitely get a spot, but you know you're going to be battling for ice time at Laval, right? Yeah. You're you're not just going to walk in there and be like I'm on the top line. No, you're going to have to earn it. It's it's going to be a tough go for a lot of these guys to get that. It's going to be a battle. And then the, the interesting thing there is that, you know, that this all benefits the Montreal Canadiens. These guys are all battling for spots. We get to find out who can cut it, who can't, and then who's going to be a part of this rebuild. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, a guy like Gianni Fairbrother, it's tough to even see a spot for him in, <laughs> in Laval, especially if they go really young um, in in Laval and, and don't guys on the NHL roster and stuff. So Arbor Jacka is going to take a spot in Laval. I think yeah. it's going to be hard as long as he can stay out of the goddamn penalty box. Um, <laughs> he's he's going to get himself a spot. He's going to get a lot of minutes if he doesn't push up and even challenge for an NHL spot. You know, yeah. Um, he's going to be all up and down the lineup. There's going to be a lot of battles, and you know, camp's going to be very interesting. And I I think you're you're bang on about some of the younger players who want to who we've thought maybe about challenging for roster spots like joshua Wyatt, for example I, I i maintain that that i think he's he's pretty much good to go i think he could play in the nhl tomorrow if he needed to um i i know i'm almost alone on that because a lot of people love to jump into my twitter mentions and argue with me about him but at the same time i agree with what you said is there a path for him to really get in there probably not they've got like just if you take a look at their wingers right now it's like you Paul Byron's probably going on LTIR, but the rest of the spots are all pretty much taken up by guys that would require waivers. So you're not going to take a waiver guy and put him on waivers just to start, you know, a rookie in a season where you're not expected to make the playoffs anyways. And then you got the other guys, you know, like Dadanov, for example, are, are you going to send Dadanov away so that you can take a rookie out of the queue and put him in the NHL on a team that's not supposed to make the playoffs? No, you're going to play Dadanov and you're going to try to give him opportunities so that you can turn him into more assets at the deadline and that's that's the smart thing to do. So it's, it is kind of unfortunate for some of these young guys. But then the good news for Montreal is you get to focus more on that development, right? Sean Farrell, Joshua Wyatt, Yuri Slavkovsky, Owen Beck, Riley Kidney. I'm, I'm looking at the depth chart right now. Those are all names that I really like, right? And none of them have any pressure on them to make the Montreal Canadiens this year. Yeah, it, it's it's you know it, it's kind of the opposite of you know if you want to go back a few years. It's kind of like when Yasperi Kotkaniemi and Nick Suzuki were both at camp, right? Kotkaniemi had just been drafted. Suzuki had just been acquired in the trade. It was the same the same uh, offseason. Yeah. And Kotkaniemi ends up getting a spot because Max Domi gets suspended and they really didn't have anybody else at center. 
uh, Suzuki goes back to junior. And, you know, that's basically the last time that um, Kotkaniemi was probably seen as better than Nick Suzuki. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I mean, it, it just goes to show that there's nothing wrong with sending a guy back to junior, right? Like, it, it, you know, Brendan Gallagher, I remember, I think it was maybe two camps in a row where he was one of the last cuts um, from the NHL roster. And the second time it was like, oh, is he going to make the team? Uh, is he going to go back to junior? And this was like a few years after the Latin dress um, thing, right? Where they kept him or they weren't sure if they were going to keep him. And he was here at the end of camp. And, got sent- <laughs> and Gallagher, Gallagher gets sent back to, to junior. And then the next year, you know, ends up making NHL and basically was a healthy scratch his first game and then was never a healthy scratch again. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that, you know, it's a lot of times players have been rushed by necessity uh, because they didn't have the depth that they needed. Now they have depth. And it's not, I'm not saying depth in terms of an NHL, like they're not going to compete. They don't have like the depth of like a Tampa or Toronto no, or, or, or organizational depth. depth. It's yeah, not exactly. NHL depth right now. Like, yeah, like you said, compete for a cup depth. It's organizational depth. Right. It's, we don't have to, we're not relying on a young guy to make the team because we, we need a body. Right. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. And, and, and the, what you can do there is, is let guys develop and, and battle and, and you're focusing on development, right? They have pl- coaches who are working with guys even in the NHL or AHL, um, it's not just an abstract concept. And and I think that's what's positive. You know, they have the analytics team to uh, evaluate players. And I bet you that the analytics team saw potential in Kirby Doc. I bet you that they saw potential in Sean Monaghan. You know, there's no shortage of teams that are looking to get rid of cap hits and willing to pay first-round picks to do so. I, I think that Sean Monaghan was targeted not just because of the opportunity with Kadri coming in, but also because the team, the the evaluation team was like, hey, there, there might be something we can unlock here. And, and I think that it's yeah. looking for opportunities to get better is is how you improve as an organization, right? Finding things that other people don't have find. Um, and that can be as simple as getting a guy in free agency or late in the draft that you think is better than other teams. Uh, it can be, as simple as, you know, nobody makes a trade hoping to lose it, right? They, both teams make a trade thinking you're going to win. And so the, the the reason that you go out and make a trade is because you think you can do something or like a player better than somebody else, right? So that's, and there are, you know, the Lekkanen trade is, is a different example where both teams definitely want different things. Um, and that and it might end up being a win-win trade for both teams. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you make a trade thinking that you can unlock something because you can value somebody. You think that they're better than the other team values than that. Kirby Doc is a good example of that. So Monahan, Monahan too. Yeah. Like, cause Jay Fresh t- tweeted out his player card. I just found it. Right. He tweeted it out yesterday, like three years ago, his player card showed his wins above replacement was in the 86th percentile. Even strength offense, 94th percentile uh, goals per 60, 90th. Assists, uh, primary assists for 60, 93rd, right? Power play, 93rd. He had good metrics. And then last year, I think Nathan put it in our chat, last year he had a lot of Milan Lucic. He was saddled up with Milan Lucic, who I think most of our listeners will agree is, you know, he's he's an NHL player. That's about all I'm going to say. 
I don't think that he's exactly conducive to, you know, helping his centermen um, get really good stats. Uh, that's, you know, just an opinion that I have. And maybe that's what the analytics team was looking at. They were looking at, well, you know what, three years ago, here's what he was. All of a sudden, you know, last couple of years, injuries, plus, you know, last year injury, injured a lot, and he was saddled up with Milan Lucic. You know, what, what did they put him in a position to succeed would be the question. And then, you know, the, the next question is, can you put him in a position to succeed? I think, yeah. I think they can. I, I, got, I got faith in Marty on that front. I think they'll put together something for him that's going to get some good production out of him. And then, you know, we reevaluate at the end of the year or at the deadline, really, right? Yeah. Where's and, he and Mont- at? And Montreal's in a position where they can afford to gamble on Sean Monaghan, right? Like mm-hmm. Calgary, if, if, if Calgary is looking at this and deciding whether they want Sean Monaghan or Nazem Kadri, and they're looking to compete, it's a no-brainer, right? But, but Montreal is in, in a position where they don't have the expectations. They can afford to gamble on Sean Monaghan because they weren't going to sign Nazem Kadri anyway. He takes a spot away from, I don't even know who would be like, you know, it's not like Ryan Paling is is around anymore, where they have to find a spot for Ryan Paling. So you do have a spot at center. Evans can move to wing. There, there's there's flexibility there, and it, it's you get a first round pick also, right? Like yeah. it, it's it's just yeah, it's a no brainer. Yeah, I said it on the spaces last night. I was in a space with uh, on Twitter with a bunch of Calgary uh, sportscasters and sports writers, and you know I. I said it like, I don't want to dump on Calgary, but Kent Hughes took advantage here of Calgary going after an upgrade. Nobody is going to argue that Nazem Kadri is not an upgrade on Sean Monaghan. He absolutely is. So Calgary got made themselves better, but Montreal takes advantage of, like you said, they can afford to gamble on him. Whereas Calgary couldn't right? Uh Trelleving, obviously what he's trying to do in Calgary is he's trying to get back to where they were and get back to competing after losing two stars, not easy to do. Right, but he's especially not when you lost. Like, like he's, he's fact- managed to do it. Like I, I said, it's impressive what he did. You, you lose two stars, one of them for nothing, and you somehow managed to put yourself in a position where I would argue Calgary is better. They're they're more well rounded than they were last year. Even, and Montreal even, benefits even from that. It. It's close is a testament to what Trey Living did, right? Like even that we're having like a, an actual discussion of is Calgary better or not after yeah. what they've lost <laughs> is 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 a testament that even if they're slightly worse. The fact that they got up to relatively like we, the fact that we can discuss it is is absolutely impressive, um, and it, it's it, it's kind of like I'm sure that you know in Columbus, Yarmo Kekalainen is like, oh wow, I wish I could have done that when I when, when they lost uh, Bobrovsky <laughs> and Panarin and and all those guys, right? Um, it, but it kind of seems like it, I, it it reminds you a little bit of like Moneyball. Where like Billy Bean is there and he's like, okay, we lost Giambi, we lost Isringhausen, we lost yeah. um all these guys. <laughs> How do we replace them? And uh they ended up doing it. Like it, it's just it's um it it's a fascinating, fascinating offseason for for Calgary, definitely. Yeah. And look, the the good news for for Montreal is that we get the opportunity to benefit from Calgary getting better. Right. Yeah. That was what I said in the space. It's like, you know what? Both teams are probably winning here. I mean, Calgary, you, you definitely don't like giving up a first round pick to get rid of a contract, but they, they decided to shove that laundry list of conditions on it. Um, the likes of which I've never seen in my entire life watching the NHL. <laughs> so we don't even really know what pick it could be Calgary's 2024 pick. It could be Florida's 2025 pick. It could be Calgary's 2025 pick. It could be a 2026 pick. 
for all we know at this point. So that, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, we leave that one for a couple of years. We can just table it and wait and see what happens. Um, but the, the, the thing here is both teams really end up winners, right? Calgary gets what they wanted. They get their upgrade. Um, they lose the contract that they couldn't afford to have anymore if they wanted to have that upgrade. And Montreal gets to sit there, take on that contract with zero risk, add a pick in the future. Again, we have no idea which one. And potentially you've either acquired a piece for your rebuild or you've acquired a piece that you can parlay into other pieces for your rebuild. It's a, it's a good piece of business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the, the it's kind of similar to to the, the Lekkonen trade, right? Where Colorado got exactly what they wanted. They got a Stanley Cup and they extended Lekkonen. Um, but when Justin Barron develops, it's possible that Montreal um, likes what they get too. And both teams end up happy from, from what ends up happening. So, yeah, it's definitely one of those trades where Calgary is perfectly fine, you know, trading. Basically, we say it's for nothing, but they trade Monaghan in the first for Kadri. That's basically what they did. Um, yeah. And, and if that's, you, that's, a, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a smart way to look at it instead of just saying, well, they gave him away for nothing. Realistically, they had to. Yeah. They got, they Otherwise got, you're they, not getting they, you know, they got Kadri. Exactly. And so, and the good thing is in this case, that Montreal doesn't have to give up Kadri, right? They, so yeah. they just collect <laughs> um, and, and benefit from that. Like we've seen teams do in the past. Um, you know, Carolina got a first round pick for taking Patrick Marlowe for a couple of seconds uh, before. Yeah buying him out right so um or trade him again i forget what happened i think they bought him out but yeah that's that's basically what happens your teams buy draft picks all the time that's what montreal is doing um and uh, it'll be interesting to watch obviously our our hope is that carrie price uh ends up on the road to recovery um we'll be watching sean manahan when training camp uh, opens or, or when he gets back uh from from his most recent surgery and we'll continue with the top 25 under 25 where we probably won't all agree like me and Matt do right now <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Matt, thank you for joining me and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time on Have Some Learning. Thank you, Amy. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.